Here it is, the beginning of February, and still, with the exception of one day last week, no sign of winter. But there are indications of Winter Classic, starring the local side in a neighboring state. The Super Bowl was, well, less than super, but better than good. So were the commercials, and we'll talk about one my bud, Don, was in. Is Toronto Transit City, or does Ford have a better idea? That and more, pretty much the gist of it for this week. I'm Bill Hayes with Don Landry. Let's get started. Politics, sports, entertainment, pop culture. It's all fair game here. Somewhere in the city of Toronto, two brains are about to collide. What will remain is the gist of it. Here now are Bill Hayes and Don Landry. Showdown at the Clam Shell. You know, I'm kind of glad we postponed the podcast one day this week. It allows us to fully digest if we can keep it down, all that unfolded at Toronto City Hall yesterday. Transit City is dead. Long live Transit City. Or not. A special council meeting is called and led by LRT forces spearheaded by their Joan of Arc TTC Chair Karen Stintz. Mayor Rob Ford's Subways or Hell stance, or was it Subways to Hell, is shot down. And Toronto waits a little longer to actually physically get cracking on a mass transit vision for the future. I find I use this phrase a lot when talking about Toronto City Council. I watched with mixed emotion, because on one hand, I'm frustrated that this city's forging of a mass transit plan for the decades ahead seems continually stuck like a train on the hill to Davisville in a winter storm. But on the other hand, I'm riveted, fascinated, and thoroughly entertained by the drama, by the intrigue, and the farce that is municipal politics in this city. Cartoon characters on both the left and the right, but let's be honest, mostly on the right, battle to and fro in a barrage of press releases, sound bites, and tweets. There are alliances formed and shattered, clandestine meetings, misdirection, strong characters to either love or hate. The only thing we're missing? A musical version. Now, I won't give too much away, but yesterday I started writing Transit City, the musical. I hope for Brent Budd and Jerry D to play the Ford Brothers. You can read all about it by clicking the link to my blog on the bottom of this podcast page. I think we've got something boffo here. But... Back to City Hall. We've merely seen the latest chapter in an amazing bit of dinner theater full of serpentine twists and unforeseen occurrences. Or is it serpentine? What do you prefer, Bill? It could be either. Thank you. What next? Rob Ford has spent so much time and energy trying to bury transit in Toronto, literally. But I think the bulk of his energies will now be focused on trying to bury Karen Stintz. And somewhere, David Miller sits in a leather wingback chair, smoking a cigar, sipping cognac, and laughing maniacally. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to add to that. It, it is a farce. It has been a farce for the longest time. Um, I heard this morning Jerry Agar on News Talk 1010 talking with Councillor uh, Adam Vaughn, Vaughn explaining why he voted against the subways, and it seemed to make sense to me, which was the idea being you can, you can get more if you go the Transit City route than the subway route and that this city needs more than just a subway uh, along Shepherd or along uh, wherever uh, Eglinton is, as uh, it was also suggested. The, the fact of the matter is, something has to get done. We've talked about this before. Just do something. Further to that, though, is another question, and, and it seems to be, Agar was talking about this. I've heard the suggestion made by many others. Well, Rob Ford was elected on this platform. No, Rob Ford was not elected on that platform. Was it part of his platform? Of course it was. But Rob Ford was elected because he was going to stop the gravy train. Right. This 
is a bigger gravy train than anything he was going to stop. Right. And, and, and people are are elected for many different reasons, and you know, unless we have really hard door-to-door numbers uh, based on people who voted for Rob Ford and exactly why, and you can tell me that 95% of the people who voted for him did it simply because they wanted subways. Okay, maybe you've got something cooking, but it, you know, and the numbers will change, but uh, I've noted, uh, somebody tweeted out today that even the numbers on the Toronto Sun's polling site today show more people are in favor of the LRT version. I think they just want more for more people. But don't you think that Rob Ford is right in one crucial aspect here? It, it is pie in the sky. If it were economically feasible, wouldn't we all say bury it all? Of course, we but would, it's not. but it's not. And so yeah. that's the problem. Here's another thing, another tweet that I saw, and I'd like to credit whoever it was, but I can't. I can't remember who it was. They tweeted out, I'm not sure Karen Stintz has buried herself as TTC chair so much as launched her mayoralty campaign. And I and I wonder if that mm-hmm. is true too. When I watch Karen Stintz in action, it seemed to me, and I'm maybe I'm naive, but I'm usually not on these things, am I? I'm usually cynical about these cynical, things. Cynical, yeah. She seems like someone who really was uncomfortable and was being worn down by the media spotlight on this. The uh, the enemies coming out of the woodwork to to discredit to discredit her mm-hmm. that kind of thing. She seemed really weary, and that made me believe she really believes in this other vision as opposed to here's how I can stick it to Rob Ford and get my mayoralty campaign. But here's the problem, Don, oh. and I, as far as I see it, anyways, that's how these things get reported. If you read the Star, it's one thing. If you read the Sun, it's another. And right. and and the Globe is probably up the middle, as as the case may be. The National Post, who really knows? But the point is, I like my politicians to be pragmatic because that means to me they're thinking and they're not ideologues. I don't like the fact that someone says something five years ago, sees something that might have changed their mind and completely ignores it because I said that five years ago. If you believe, and I really do believe Karen Stintz does believe this, that something made her change her mind. Right. She looked at it and said, I was wrong. This is the way to go. I respect her for that. I hear people on the right saying, well, she wasn't loyal. I don't want her to be loyal to Rob Ford or loyal to some ideology. I want her to be loyal to her conscience and the city and the people of Toronto. And, in and fact, that's what I think happened. And in fact, I want all politicians to do that. Absolutely. And, and again, we'll repeat because it's something we, we agree on. And that is changing your mind doesn't necessarily make you a terrible wishy-washy flip-flopper. Sometimes it makes you thoughtful. And this seems to be one of those occasions, at least to me. So are you in Transit City the Musical or not? You in for this? Uh, yeah, I the don't hills are alive with the sound of LRTs. I like that. That doesn't you know, work. I can add that. It's a work in progress. We're, we're, work we're it. workshopping it. And, uh, you know, if, I don't even need any of your money. I just need, you have a flashlight? We need ushers. This is The Gist of It with Landry and Hayes. Don, I don't really have anything to bitch and moan about or something I want to celebrate to the high heavens this week. So I'm going to talk about something else. I watched the Super Bowl, like so many others, wondering how the matchup between the Giants and the Patriots would play out. Would history repeat itself, with the Giants winning late like they did against the Pats four years ago? Or would the Patriots avenge that loss that ruined their their run at a perfect season, something only the 1972 Miami Dolphins have done? But what made this game similar to the previous Giants-Patriots game to me was, these are two of my least favorite teams. I had no rooting interest whatsoever. I really didn't care who won. Now, that may be something you're familiar with, but for me, it's pretty rare. 
I'm the type of sports fan that has to have a team I'm rooting for to truly enjoy a sporting event. If I'm watching, say, Aussie Rules Football, I'll pick a side I like and then I can enjoy the game. I can't really explain why or how I choose a team to root for, but I do. I could tell you my personal NHL pecking order, for instance, and I do have one. I, I won't do it, but I will say the Leafs are first and the Canucks are last. Every other team has a slot. And uh, when I watch, say, Minnesota versus the Ducks, I'll support the one that's highest on my list. In, in that case, it's Minnesota. I guess the gist of it is this Super Bowl was a disappointment to me. The game was good with gusts to great. The commercials were online before the game, and well, we'll be talking about that a little bit later. Still, overall for me, who is my reaction? I'm interested in your NHL list. If I say to you right now, 22, Bill. Off the top of your head, can you tell me? I couldn't tell you who's 22, but if you told me Do you have a list written down somewhere? No, but in my head, I I have a pecking order. Tell me two teams. Columbus, Nashville. That's a toughie, isn't it? No, Columbus. I'll go Columbus. Why? I don't understand that. I I don't know why. I've been to Columbus. haven't been to Nashville. You know what? And I don't like country music. Columbus and Nashville are on. I'm flipping around, and I'm stopping anywhere. I don't Being Erica rerun, that's fine. I'll do that. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll watch that, and I'll pick Columbus. Uh, The Rangers versus the Islanders is a tough one for me, but I'll go with the Isles. Super Bowl... XLVI was in large part Super Bowl ZZZZ. Mm-hmm. Um, the last five minutes were terrific. The last two minutes were great. It goes down to the final play. I don't. That's a little bit harsh. I don't really have a big complaint. I just don't think. It, I heard people say the next day, "What a great game!" To me, it was a great finish to a fairly ordinary game. But I don't really have a quarrel with that ordinary football is very attractive to me. I, yeah. I, I'll, I, I thought it was a pretty it. good so, game. I thought it was an okay game only, mm-hmm. and um, and it finished pretty good. And, all, you know, when you get a last play into the end zone and it's tipped, and, you know, the guy's diving and has a chance to wow. catch the winning touchdown, that's a pretty good finish. So that's a great finish. If he, if he hasn't got that high ankle sprain, he catches that ball. Or if that ball is just tipped a little, a little more thickly. You yeah. know what I mean? If the, yeah. if I, can't, I don't know who tipped it, really, but if he got a little bit more of his paw on it, that ball's up a little higher, a little longer. And yeah. We may be talking about uh, one of the, you know, the New England Patriots yeah, absolutely. winning Flutie one of the great fin- Exactly. Yeah. So beyond that, um, you know, the Super Bowl had its usual bells and whistles. I'll tell you this. I did ignore the pregame stuff. I didn't watch yeah, anything. Me too. I, you know, went to Canadian Tire with my wife, uh, you know, uh, listened to some music, and then tuned in around 6 o'clock and, all right, let's go. Show's underway. Let's play some football because that's what I'm really about. And, and you know, in the halftime show, too, I didn't have any quarrel What did quarrel you think with, of Madonna? I thought she was uh, okay. I thought it was kind of interesting to see her. Her, uh, apparently nervous. She didn't look That's really... That's not something you see mo- yeah. very often out of her. And then we hear reports that she was. She was pretty wound up about this whole thing. And I think it was a, a big deal for her because it's not that she's, you know, a has-been or anything, but she's been out of the public eye for a while and she set certain standards years ago. And yeah. so I guess she could have been nervous about it. I, I thought, you know, here's the thing that I thought was greatest about the Madonna halftime show is it's brought to you by Bridgestone. So if watching Madonna perform reminds you that there's not much tread left on your tires, <laughs> Bridgestone. <laughs> This is the gist of it. All of that money spent on producing Super Bowl ads, both north and south of the border. My favorite one was the lowest budget of them all, I do believe. And it aired in exactly one television market in the United States, North Platte, Nebraska. North Platte. You have seen the Will Ferrell old Milwaukee commercial. I have. The, this is a guy who literally can just have his face on camera, 
do nothing. He could just look at the camera and I'll start laughing. And that's almost what this spot is. It's just mm-hmm. walking through a field of, I don't know, what a canola. It looked like or corn some, or yeah. something. What, and, and he just walks toward the camera. They toss him an old Milwaukee. And he opens it and starts to say a tagline. And the commercial ends. That's just as he says, <laughs> old Milwaukee. That's the whole thing. This guy, I mean, that is some kind of serious comedic chops reputation or otherwise. When you get to a level where you have to do only that. And I think it's brilliant. And, Very and, funny. And it was his decision, his determination, that it would only run in the one market. Yep. KNOP-TV, North Platte, Nebraska, the 209th market in the 210 markets, television-wise, in the United States. There's a great trivia question. Only what in God's name is smaller? It, it, I, know, I would like to know that, too. I didn't see it in this story, but... Uh, it's not even about airing during the Super Bowl anymore, is it? No. Um, it may have started to become about the viral nature of these commercials even in the last few years, but it seems like this year advertisers really embraced that. The uh, The Matthew Broderick commercial for, was it Honda? Uh, the, yeah, the CV, wasn't it? Right. I mean, they, they, they released that. People think it's a Ferris Bueller's sequel trailer. 10 million views before it even hit the air on the Super uh, on the Super Bowl telecast. Same thing with the Jerry Seinfeld Acura commercial. I think it up here, the Budweiser commercial. It's over 3 million hits now. It had right. a million before it even aired on CTV. It's hard to believe. It's it really does signal a, a significant shift change in the way advertising marketing has changed. It's it, it's interesting. It used to be that the Super Bowl was also the Super Bowl for advertisers and agencies. The best commercials ran then, and and it was a part of the show. The game was one thing, but you couldn't you couldn't leave during a timeout because you didn't want to miss a great commercial. That seems to have changed because they realized it's all about the marketing. And so, if I can get your eyes on that spot beforehand, uh, you'll still watch it during the game. And you'll tell people about it. Right. And then all of a sudden, like you said, 10 million people watching it. That's an awful lot. That That is worth an awful lot to an advertiser. It means you went to look for it, and almost without exception, you watched it all the way through. That's all they can ask Not for. Not so long ago, it used to be about, we buy the Super Bowl in the United States and here in Canada mm-hmm. to a degree of about you know, a tenth, right? A tenth of the population, oh, right. a tenth yeah. of the, the TV. We buy that because we get so many eyeballs on our commercial, on our product at one sitting, can't do it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. That was the whole game, wasn't it? You have to be in this place where 16 million Canadians might see your commercial at any given time or, uh, you know, or 111 million. Well, it was, it might was used to kick off campaigns. It was, it was right. Absolutely. But now it's a vehicle to spur on the publicity that sends you to YouTube or to the company's website to hit that, download it, to send it to your friends, to get your impressions, to use advertising and, uh, and media speak. That way, instead of, you know what I mean? It's not, hey, here's where people are going to see our message on the Super Bowl telecast. Now it's, we've got a Super Bowl ad. We'll use that publicity well before the game to get people to watch it in even greater numbers. One of the things that's really changed here is the idea of how an advertisement, how a marketing campaign hits the viewer. Uh, This is the latest example. I don't recall it being anywhere like this prior to this year. I mean, you still might get some leakage beforehand. I don't recall seeing any beforehand last year, but there might have been some. 
I expect from here. Have on you had in, a problem with some leakage before, uh, Bill? <laughs> minor, nothing that we really need to get into. But the point is that advertisers have realized that really is a way to get more bang for your buck. Let's face it, you're spending an awful lot of money for a Super Bowl ad. Now they'll they'll take a well. Let's use the Seinfeld commercial as an example. They have the thirty that they ran, which cost them what three and a half million dollars. Yeah. But there's also a two minute version of it. Yeah. That's the one you see when you're online, and it kind of fleshes out the idea. Uh, there's a neighbor of mine who runs a company called Red Lion. It's a new advertising marketing agency, and the whole idea is to get things like that to go viral. And this is how you do it. You you release it beforehand. You make a big deal. You know already that you have that uh, that platform with the Super Bowl. People are anxiously awaiting what are the commercials going to be like. And so you get them there and you, and, and you get things to go viral. The, the problem with getting anything to go viral is you don't know how it's going to happen. This is one instance where you can be pretty sure almost everything you do will go viral because it's so much a part of the actual Super Bowl presentation. The rest of the year, I would say, is a, a lot more difficult for these guys to do it, but I think we're going to see a lot more of it in the future. It's Phil Hayes and Don Landry, and you're getting the gist of it. Everybody, everybody, everybody's on TV. Here in Canada, of course, we didn't get to see a lot of the commercials that uh, people are talking about, at least not immediately. Um, but we did see one that has a lot of people talking and has gone viral. You mentioned it earlier too, the Budweiser commercial, and you were a part of that. Now, I looked at that, and I, I'm kind of curious. The looks on the players' faces, it seemed to me like they had no idea what was going on. Was that, in fact, the case? That is, in fact, the case. This is totally on the up and up and, and legit. I've gotten a lot of questions from people um, who doubt that. And, and often people say, hey, so just come on. That didn't really happen. Like, that's a bunch of actors, right? And no, I can tell you my own uh, experience going through this. Okay. Which will tell you just how uh, closely a, a, a guarded secret this was. How closely guarded a secret this was. In that, you know, I went in for an audition. Here, do some play-by-play off a TV screen. Okay, see you later. Come on back for a second audition. Okay, did it. And after both those auditions, I said, what's this for? It's called Project X. Okay, whatever. I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I go, you know, I didn't do very well in the audition. And then I get a call. Hey, you've got the part. Oh, great. What's it for? We can't tell you. It's Project X. Okay, can you tell me who it's for? No, we can't tell you who it's for. Um, just go for a wardrobe fitting on Monday. So I went, okay. And then I thought about it. And I phoned the agency and said, look, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't know who this is. I don't know what it is. And I just don't want to sign up for it. He said, okay. You know, the guy who handles me said, okay, I get it. Then he phones me back about 10 minutes later and says, look, I talked to the casting director here. He won't tell me what this is about, but he said, just tell your guy he's going to want to be a part of this. So luckily, I just went, okay, fine, I'll take a flyer. Then I show up for the wardrobe. A bunch of people too. They're fitting mascots. They've got uh, girls with bare midriffs to see if they can paint on yeah, them. By the way, they didn't have enough of those. No, they did just not. Just saying. You know, and me and another guy who's playing a, you know, a booth guy too. Do you know what this is for? No one knows what this is for. You're going to get an email tonight. I get an email. That email says, you're going to get another one tomorrow, but you need to be somewhere at 5 o'clock on Wednesday. And then I get an email saying, be here at this time. So I show up to this church in Port Credit. I still don't know exactly what's going on, but there's an arena right next door. Okay. They walk us into the arena. About an hour before the players get there, 
That's when they say, here are the rosters, here's what we're doing. And they unveil this grand plan of how these guys think they're in a documentary and then just all hell's going to break loose at some point. So they guarded that secret uh, so keenly, from again, from my experience. And you talk to any of the players and they will back it up. We didn't know anything about okay. this. One of them told a story where one of their buddies was phoned during the game and said, you have to get here. This is going crazy. He got there, apparently. The doors were locked. They wouldn't let him in. He wanted to suit up, and he smashed his cell phone down on the ground and went home and couldn't believe he had missed it. You mean he was supposed to be there and, and decided well, yeah. not to go that this night? This was an extra game, and it's like, nah, I don't think I'll play tonight. Oh, yeah. that's not good. Well, Too bad, but, buddy. But let's go back to how they got the players there, and did they actually have to wait? To, they're all here. Now we can come in. How'd that work? Yeah, well, what they did was they started the game. They told these players it was a documentary, and so, okay, fine. So they've got cameras in the arena. They're not going to think twice about that. Right. They play a normal first period, and then they resurface the ice which is not that normal in rec hockey, is no, it? But it hey, isn't. they're filming. No. So, but the Zamboni comes out and it's it's clad in Budweiser decals. In the meantime, I'm in the booth. By the way, I forgot to tell you about that. We go into the booth and we're told you're not part of this until midway through the game. Lights out, don't pop up. You sit on the floor. But I'm kind of peeking over the edge, you know, of the, the windowsill, and I see the Zamboni come out and I, I'm watching the players and they're kind of elbowing each other, going, ah, what a chuckle. Second period starts. Still, they're just playing. A group of actors comes in, just a small group, and they start cheering for one team and heckling the other one. And again, you can see the guys going, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Then another group comes in, and they're for the other team. So they ratchet it up just a bit. It's still an empty arena. And then midway through the second period, doors open, 600 fans come in. You've seen the result yeah. on the commercial. A few minutes later, we pop up, turn on the microphones. The big jumbotron fires up. We've got the PA going. Second intermission comes. I run down. I start interviewing guys between the benches. Unbelievable. Game turned into a completely different animal. We've all seen and been a part of rec hockey. Right. There's a lot of gliding. No. You know, the second half of this game, they were busting their humps. There was a bit of a, as I said, kerfuffle in there. I, it wasn't going to get to fisticuffs, but there was an intensity. It did go to overtime. A guy won it with a great goal. Confetti cannons go off. An incredible night. I'm so fortunate to have been part of that. It's it's a memory that I'll I'll have for many many years, and I'll always be happy that I was part of uh, of that kind of an event. It was sensational. It's incredible to think how you could logistically pull this thing off. Yeah, you know, uh, and they did clearly. Yeah. Um, I don't want to know the cost, but I will guarantee you that whatever it is, Budweiser did a good job with it because that's something that they'll never be able to repeat and. The value. I mean, I'll bet you you see that spot for years to come. They pulled on Canadians' heartstrings. What better way to do it, even They're during rank. a football game or oh, a football yeah. commercial, than with hockey, right? Uh, how much? Do, how? Quite seriously, how many different versions do you think we'll see of that during the Stanley Cup playoffs? Yeah, well, I hope so. I never get tired of seeing myself on TV, Bill. Do you? Seeing you on TV <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I am jazzed. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm a little surprised by that. Giddy like a what you, child. What, uh, what are you surprised at? What are you giddy at? The Outdoor Classic, the Winter Classic, the NHL Winter Classic. Okay. I mean, it's not a new story. It's not a big bomb surprise today, but the official announcement was made that the Detroit Red Wings will host and the Toronto Maple Leafs will play. And I found myself really swept away in the excitement of the media conference 
of the ensuing uh, interviews that I heard on TSN radio with Donald Fear and Brian Burke, who, by the way, this tells you the magnitude of how big this event is. Brian Burke, not only did he have a tie draped around his shoulders, he actually had it tied in a knot. Wow. Now, it wasn't crisply done up to the neckline. It, it was loose around the neck, but... Baby usually, steps, Don, baby right, steps. It's usually just hanging around right. his neck loosely. So this is a big, big deal. I am. I'm excited. Now, I don't know if I'll change my mind in the next few days, but today I'm going, I want me some tickets. I'm not so sure. I, you know, the funny thing about this story, it's, I'm not one who gets overly excited and... I must say I'm almost surprised at the success of these winter classics. I, I you know, to me, um, they're they're like a fish out of water kind of thing. I understand that it goes back in this romantic notion to the way we learned to play the game outside on the ponds. Nonsense. We yeah, had, no, it's all, not, it's all these big, guys never did that. Cyclone Taylor, absolutely. It's, it's all, they're all Cyclone Taylor. I what, get you that. Never, you never played out on a river I, or a pond and said, "I'm Cyclone I Taylor." I, well, I can remember when when there were rinks at every schoolyard. I, yeah, absolutely. I get that. Um, and it's not so much even that I don't like the idea. I I think the thing to me is this is just another event. We're in an age where all of these leagues, the NBA has to do it, the NFL has. They, they got to do something. That takes an event out of the ordinary. Yeah. And that's how I see this. I think it's great that the Leafs are involved in it. And I think the Red Wings are, again, a, a team that's perfect for it. Having it played at, at uh, the big house at uh, uh, Michigan University in Ann Arbor is a great thing. I've been there to watch football games. It's a fabulous setting. It will be a great event. I'm just not sure I'm interested in going. In all seriousness, I don't think I am interested in actually being there. I have watched with great interest all of the Winter Classics and the Heritage Classic that they held in Calgary, mm-hmm. uh, and then the one years ago in Edmonton, and loved them from the comfort of my living room, Bingo. warm, and I've got my snacks, and what a spectacle, and it looks unusual and different, and I'm really enjoying this, and look at all those people freezing. The Big House is a place where I think my first event there should be a football game. I've not done that mm-hmm. yet, but beyond that, if you're into just the energy of the crowd and the event, fine, then go. But you're not going to get it. Even the good seats there for a hockey game Far will be away crappy, from the crappy That's seats. Right. But I guess it would be fun to say, yeah, I was there. I was part of, what are they expecting, 110,000? Well, it is 110,000 it can seat. I doubt very much that they'll, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they will sell it out. Right. I, you know, this is an event, and I am excited about this. There's an awful lot of people in Toronto who can't get tickets to Leaf games right. for whatever reason. In this instance, there should be a lot of them available. Now, mind you, they'll also be a little more expensive. It'll be a, an event to go to, though. It, it, there's a lot going on, not just in Ann Arbor, right. but also in Detroit at Comerica Park, where the Tigers play. Um, and it's a celebration of the game. I get all of that. I hope it's a big success. I'm just not sure. Like I said, it, I don't think it's my my cup of tea. Brian Burke talked about that today and uh, the great job that the Illiches are doing to make it a bigger event than it has been. Mm-hmm. And he has his sights on something even bigger in Toronto, which would be a festival that's a week or a week and a half long with some outdoor hockey, with some indoor hockey at RICO, at the ACC, probably at the Ryerson Rink at Maple Leaf Gardens if you know they could ever dot the I's and cross the T's on you know all the legal machinations the of that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that kind of a thing. So it could grow into something huge for Toronto. Uh, he envisions this as, as a big, uh, massive festival, not just a, a one-off event, but... And I, you know, sometimes Brian Burke's swagger can be a bit bothersome, and you go, "Come on, you blowhard!" Um, but today, I loved it. He said, "You know, they were approached about this game. They were talked about the logistics." And the he said, "The NHL apparently said to him, 
can you sell 40,000 tickets? And his answer was, I'm going to need 48 hours. And then they said, <laughs> what about 50,000? He said, I'll need 72 hours. And I think he's probably right. A I lot think of people so. are going to head down yeah. uh, to uh, and stay in Windsor, Ann Arbor, Flint, wherever they Chatham, they, London. They to. Yeah. You, you may not be able to get real close. Yeah. So, um, hey, good. I love it. It's a great thing on New Year's Day to see. And uh, I just, I like things that are out of the ordinary. I really like this event. But I do think once I come down from my giddy perch of all the excitement, um, the only thing that could get me to go there and sit outside, and it wouldn't be at the big house, probably be at Comerica, is if Mr. Dave Keon were taking part in the oh, alumni game. That's do a I, whole different conversation. Do I dare dream? I know it would be a huge thing if it were in Toronto and he appeared, but it would be something special if they could get him to lace him on for the blue and white at the alumni game. Wow. Uh, yeah, but I can't see it happening. Dave, do it! The gist of it. This Saturday night, Montreal Canadiens are in town at the ACC to take on the Toronto what? Maple Leafs. Again, uh, it does seem like they come all all the time. Oh, but they the good should thing play. Is they should year, play like sixty times a year. I would like to see yeah. that, but especially now because the, the, the Canadians suck. So I'm really <laughs> liking that. But but the thing is, this is not any Saturday night. Matt Sundin's number thirteen will be raised to the rafters. The Leafs have stopped retiring numbers, and I think that's not a bad idea. But if they were to retire a number, 13, right now, tip a tongue is the first to go. What do you think? No, I, I, I don't uh, think that he reached uh, levels uh, that match the legends Every who have had the their numbers retired. Um now, and when we think about it, the Leafs have retired Bill Barilko's number. Because he died after winning um, the Stanley Cup. Well, and the other one was Ace Bailey. And Ace, and Bailey. Ace Bailey allowed Ron Ellis to play. Right. Beyond that, they raise banners with numbers and pictures, and that's right. fine. If you're not going to retire 27 for Daryl Sittler, then you don't retire number 13 for Matt Sundin. I, I, mm-hmm. I enjoy watching the banner raisings and uh, fully endorse just marking the occasion of a great, great career with the number and the picture going up, but uh, I'm not so big on retiring numbers unless somebody really hit levels of gobsmacking legendary status. It's just, well, that it's, would well, you were talking Stanley about, Cups. you know what, I, I, yeah, well, that'd be part of it, but you know, you're talking about the outdoor classic, the winter classic, being kind of run-of-the-mill and usual, mm-hmm. that, because maybe they've done it too often. Well, this is the same thing. It's the same reasoning that I would give for not retiring numbers. It's just done too often. It's just become too run-of-the-mill. It's not so special. A retired number used to be, whoa, no one is going to wear that number again. That's pretty special stuff. Well, there's, they have a couple of instances, I think, on the team right now where they kind of have retor- retired a number. I don't think anyone's worn 17 since Wendell Clark gave it up. Someone will, eventually, but... By definition, it will be have it will have to be someone who plays like him, right? And that may take a while. That's fair enough, and they yeah. and they should have done that with twenty seven before they. they hey, let, Miro no Inichak offense to Dave Semenko and in in Miro Inichak, but I mean, guys like you know, you should have just handed that number to somebody. Yeah, you're right. I know. You it just, was a special number. You you have to caretake the number, and you do. so the next player to wear number thirteen for the Toronto Maple Leafs should be a special player. Well, but okay, someone should be able to wear it. Nazem Kadri. Wore number 13 at junior. He wears number 13 with the Marlies. He comes up to the Leafs. He wears 43. I saw someone, I can't recall who it was, suggest that to show to him that they think he's here to stay, 
they should give him number 13. What do you think of that? Well, no, he should prove that he's here to stay. I, you know what? I'm getting a little tired of the Nazem Kadri story, all, all right? right? Of constantly... They sh- he shouldn't have a number on his back. He should just have the word yo squared. <laughs> yo. Know? Yo, yo. Because he's up, oh, he's down. Oh, because he's up, he's down. Right. I got it. every single time he comes back up, I hear the same quote from him. Well... Or from other people. Now here's his chance to show that he's ready, and it's his chance to stick. It's his time. He's got to do it this time. I'm tired of that whole. No, he hasn't proven that he deserves number thirteen. Not yet. Nothing against the kid. Maybe he will one day. Okay, but so but let's now. just say he gets to that exalted level. Do yeah. you give him thirteen then? Sure, absolutely. As I said, I I don't think you retire Matt Sundin's number, but I think you hold on to it until a special player comes along. Maybe you even consult with the guy. Mm-hmm. It was Ace Bailey who said that Ellis kid should be wearing. You know, I'd, I'd like him to wear my number. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you do that. that that's possible. And, and uh, it's interesting to me to see, too, Matt Sundin coming back. He came back, uh, was it last year, I think, he, or was it earlier this year? Uh, and they got a large standing ovation, yep. and deservedly so. I will admit, I was one who, when he left, I was not happy with him um, because I didn't buy into his whole rationale for not accepting a trade right. that would have helped the team. Uh, I thought he was being pretty selfish. And I still believe that. Having said that, that, though, I also, you cannot take away what he did for this franchise the time he played here. He was far and away their best player. He may be the best player we've ever seen in that uniform, in our generation. I'm not saying he's the best. Sittler was a great player. I think Borja Salming was even better. Those three. Yeah. I think would be the top three. I would I would say, and and with with Gus to Dougie Gilmore, but he wasn't there a lot. You know, he, he had two great years and then great effort, but he wasn't the you know. Uh, oh, and let's face it: if you could fill your roster with Wendell Clark players, you would. That's yeah. another very special player who, you know, should have stuck around longer. Should have never been traded away in the first place. Well, but he I got don't back believe it. Matt Sundin. For I know you did. As I said that, I just went. Well, hang on a second. They got another great player, and they did get him back. And it's too bad that he got injured so often. But if you could fill your roster with Wendell Clarks, you would. So there's another player who's who's in 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 that area. I do think. And Matt Sundin, yeah. okay, a terrifically talented, wonderful, beautiful player who I stood behind often during his career, and I got really sick and tired of hearing people in Toronto run him down mm-hmm. for no good reason other than he failed to do what so many others, and we've mentioned a few of them, failed to do as well, which was lead them to a Stanley Cup. He played yeah. his heart out. He played through injury. He played with you know more of an eye to positional and defensive hockey than he got credit for. Yeah. But beyond that, yeah, he just worked his He's butt one off of those trying guys, to carry the team. I, I, frankly, I blame Don Cherry for a lot of that because I don't think Don Cherry ever warmed to the idea of Matt Sunday. Right. And it probably was because he was traded for Wendell Clark. But having said that, I think people who actually know the game, watch the game, you have to look at them, at, at what they were doing under, under, uh, under his captaincy and realize that this guy was a great leader and a, a tremendous player. And as great as Wendell was, Matt's was better. Welcome back, Matt's. I hope one day soon somebody from the Leaf organization will turn to you and say, this kid here looks like he can wear number 13. And you say, yes, give it to him. Someone, I can't recall who, said, may we live in interesting times. Well, we live in interesting times. I would go so far as to say scary sometimes, too. And as an example, Don, I bring up the case of a Montreal man who's having all kinds of trouble with our government. Saad Alami is his name. And he made a mistake that, well, he's regretting. Um, 
January 21st, 2011, he sent a text message to his colleagues who were at a trade show in New York City. He said he wanted them to blow away the competition. Several days later, he was arrested by Quebec's finest, the provincial police, for being a terrorist. They went through his house. As they're doing that, they're telling his wife she's, she's married to a terrorist. Go further down the road, he has to get a certificate of good conduct. He's in the uh, finance business. And to be able to work in that business, right. he has to have that certificate. They won't give it to him. He's never been charged, any of these things. He's suing for $100,000, and I say he's really wrong here. He should be suing for millions. I thought you might say that. It, that seems like a low number, too. It isn't really that, does. Isn't that a, a Canadian story in some ways? What a I'm nightmare. suing for $100,000. Yeah, I'll get my money out I'm of you. I'm suing for $110 million yeah. because of my pain and suffering. It's, um, what an interesting story. What an awful story for him. What it, The tentacles that reach into our lives and then back up to the highest levels of government, not even to the highest levels of government, but to the security intelligence service here, the CIA, the FBI, to have a text message. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they just caught it somewhere, someone sitting in a darkened room watching all the text messages that go on in North America. And it's... <laughs> Guy's never been charged with anything before. He's never, never. apparently had any problems anywhere Nothing. else. And he uses a vernacular that business people would have used. Always. Blow tons, away. Blow For away sure. the competition. Let's do that. Now, I get how in the United States... Uh, those who are involved in the security services, they want to watch this as tightly as possible, and they want to be on guard. They had a little thing called 9-11 not so long ago. Not that little. Yeah, and so they're on edge, and I I get that they need to be vigilant. So how do you look at this? Does this seem scary to you that every little text you send might set off some alarm bells, or do you go, well, geez, they really have their crap together on this, don't they? It has to be. They see everything, and then they investigate. How about context? You know, like you said, this is a, uh, a saying that a lot of people use. I'm quite concerned about something. I send emails of files to you and to myself, yeah. and I name them, and we do bombs away. Right. That's what we call it. Yeah. And so I'll go, Don Bomb. Right. It's true. What if someday the RCMP shows up on my doorstep because of that? And well, you know what? You, you laugh. I mean, I'm no, I'm being somewhat facetious. There's, there's something this else tells me it could here. happen. Well, Absolutely. no, I don't think so, Bill Hayes. I don't oh, think they're coming to Don Landry's house. We're not Muslims. Either. Well, I, it's I'm, profiling. Yes, but oh, under even worse. look at if, you, if your name was Bill Alami, then 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 perhaps that would happen. Or if you sent it as a text instead of an email, although they're probably looking at all of that too. But again, that that's not a simple issue either. I get how after nine eleven, even before that. Many uh, acts of terrorism were being perpetrated by those who claimed to be of the Muslim faith. Not an attack on Muslims. It's just mm-hmm. that these were the kinds of people who were pulling off these attacks. Now, you know, like, look at in Britain. You know, when a bomb went off, it was probably an you know an Irishman, a member of the IRA. Is that profiling? I just didn't hear about it as much. Um, so I get that part of it. I mean, there is a bit of a fine line here. If 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 someone is through no fault of their own, uh, a member of, uh, of a race, of a, of, a, of a religious culture that has been linked to this kind of thing, unfortunately, in, in these times, they are going to be facing that kind of prejudice, that kind of scrutiny. See, I say to you that poppycock, and, and, and I could actually go deeper. I understand they are going to face it. I get that. But here's the thing. They shouldn't have to. If a businessman can't say, blow away the competition, we've got a serious problem in this country. 
That cannot be allowed to continue. And that's why I say millions. You've got to sting these guys so hard that they never do it again. And you'll have some. Oh, no, no, let's not let's not go too far the other way, Bill. Let's not have a chill on security here either. Oh, what well, I no, see no. is the problem here is that they didn't investigate uh, with tact, with some taste. They kick in his door, they ransack his house, they, they say to his wife, to his "You're wife, married to a terrorist." terrorist. What? That kind of thing. No, sure, check into this kind of thing. Um, absolutely, be aware of what's going on. But do it with some tact. Do it with some professionalism, and don't just fly off the handle, fly into somebody's house, detain cohorts well, apparently here, at the at the border. Here's the problem with that, Don. I, I hear what you're saying, and, and there is a danger of going too far with it. The fact of the matter is, though, this is a guy who had no record. No one knew who he was. There yeah. was no reason to believe, other than the fact that he's Muslim, that he could be that kind of a danger. That, to me, is unacceptable. To have this kind of reaction to a guy like that, not right. It shouldn't happen. They overreacted. They, they did. They, you know, they should. There's an old saying. Respond, don't react. And, when, you know, in your personal life, it's better if you respond as opposed to reacting. Reacting it means just, you know, something happens and boom, you fly off the handle. Response is thoughtful. They didn't respond. They reacted. And because of that, yeah, I, I think he deserves 100K. I think he deserves more uh-huh. than 100K. And get well, him his damn certificate. Let him go back to work. Yep, I agree. <laughs> One of my favorite stories of the week as we get out of here, Bill, uh, has to be uh, Juno nominations coming out, but not so much the nominations, but the host. Oh. Mr. William Shatner will be the host. I immediately thought, please, please, please do your version of Rocket Man. You know that one, the oh, classic yeah, yeah, yeah. William Shatner. But no, maybe beyond that, let's. How about just give your Rocket Man treatment to a Canadian classic? It's just a high school. In high school. Confidential. Oh, no. Mamie Van Doren. I'd love to see Bill come out in leather and do the old rough trade. Hey, speaking of the Junos, just as we get out of here, though, they, they have peeved me off, all right? Oh, I why? am mad. Are you kidding me? Sarah Sleen's Land and Sea doesn't get a single nomination, not Album of the Year, not Songwriter Tremendous of the Year. Tremendous oversight. This thing is an absolute masterpiece. Juno Awards? Rename it You Don't Know Awards. And that's The Gist of It for another week. The Gist of It is available every Wednesday afternoon through iTunes or at DonLandry.com. So if watching Madonna perform reminds you that there's not much tread left on your tires, (laughs) Bridgestone. Bridgestone.